Hey everyone, before we get to today's content, I wanted to tell you about a brand new podcast from the 11FS Podcast Network, the FinTech Marketing Podcast hosted by me, Eric Fulweiler, Chief Marketing Officer of 11FS. Over the last couple months, I've been speaking to heads of marketing from the world's leading FinTech and financial service brands, Monzo, Revolut, MasterCard, Zero, Starling, Lemonade, and many more. We heard their insights and ideas on how they build brand and drive growth for their businesses, and now we can bring them to you. So if you're into FinTech, FS, marketing, which I assume you are, uh, please check out our brand new podcast. Search for FinTech Marketing Podcast on any podcast platform. Subscribe, share, leave us a review, and please do let us know your thoughts. Appreciate the support. And welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. I'm Simon Taylor, and I'm joined by my colleague and co-host today, Sarah Kachansky. How's it going, Sarah? It's going well. I mean, you know, it's still uh, still at home. Week four, it's uh, madness is starting to set in around the edges, but it is nice and sunny, and I very much appreciate that because I'm British and I can't help but talk about the weather. I know. I'm watching you on Zoom with sunshine. This feels uh, this feels fantastic. Let's see if we can bring some sunshine to to this topic today. Um, and given the situation in the world right now, um, it does seem prudent that we discuss uh, that thing, um, COVID nineteen. Of course, for this episode, we wanted to dig into the impact it's having on small businesses specifically, um, the options they have from banks, the lenders, and the government, and the ways that certain fintechs are even trying to help. So to dig into this, we're not alone. We've got some fantastic guests. Uh, first up, we have Sam O'Connor who's the CEO at Coconut. Welcome back to Fintech Insider. Sam, can you give us a refresher on what you guys do at Coconut? Absolutely. Glad to be back, uh, Simon and Sarah. Thanks for having me. Um, At Coconut, we're making self-employment easier than being employed uh, by building the ultimate accounting and tax tool for self-employed people. So you can connect up Coconut to 20 different bank accounts through open banking uh, and open one of our own coconut current accounts and then you can get cracking with expense automation invoicing business insights uh, tax or work with your accountant and um, we've got around twenty three thousand customers now and we've been putting our expertise into supporting self-employed people during this really tough time over covid with the campaign for self-employed income support and i can probably share a bit more later about that Absolutely. Um, get cracking with coconut has to be a tagline for you guys somewhere. Um, <laughs> Our head of marketing is going to probably be uh, fist, fist in mouth at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, thank you, Sam. Uh, we're also joined by Rebecca Duckworth, who is Chief Sales Officer over at Quotevine. Thanks for joining us. Can you tell us a little bit more about uh, Quotevine, please? Yeah, sure, Simon. Thanks for having us. Um, Quotevine's a technology company that powers alternative finance providers, specifically in the asset finance, motor finance, and consumer finance space. Um, and we work with the lenders and brokers in the UK. Thank you very much, Rebecca. Thanks for being with us. And Ian Smith, who is the CEO of 1PM PLC, welcome to the show. Can you tell us a little bit more about 1PM, please? Yeah, sure. And uh, hello, all. Thanks for having me. Uh, so uh, the name 1PM, nothing to do with the time on the clock. It's actually derived from the phrase one payment monthly. Uh, so that gives you a clue that we're a money lender. Uh, we're a group of six companies. We're very much focused on the S in SME, so lending to the smallest businesses in the UK, um, deliberately set our stall out to be multi-product. So uh, it's asset finance, vehicles, loans, and invoice finance. Uh, We've actually been around a long time. In fact, probably since before the name FinTech was invented, actually. We were formed in 2000 
uh, floated on AIM in two, 2006. So uh, we were around before the last financial crisis. Uh, we're now lending about 140 million to small businesses, dealing with about 20,000 SMEs and consumers. And we're definitely in the category of being a non-bank specialist finance provider. Well, thank you for joining us, Ian. Um, shall we get started, Sarah? Absolutely. Um, so it's no secret that one of the hardest hit groups um, by the economic impact of the coronavirus pandemic is SMBs. Um, and for the purposes of today, we're going to include self-employed uh, people in that group um, as well. Um, so let's take a quick look at some of the stats to kick us off. Um, we just want to put some of the business challenges that SMBs are facing in perspective. So um, at the point at which we are recording this, coronavirus is affecting 175 countries around the world. Um, and so obviously, you know, the impact on the global economy um, is clear. Uh, we've also got um, a note here about a study from JP Morgan, uh, which was made uh, back in 2016, which stated that the median average uh, of SMBs hold just 27 days cash buffer and reserve. Uh, 25% hold just 13 days. And that was before uh, we started seeing the impacts um, of the current pandemic. And it's also worth noting that right now, uh, coronavirus is shutting down a lot um, of, of what could be termed uh, non-essential industries, but, you know, particularly we're looking at, you know, the hospitality sector, perhaps, um, you know, meaning that many SMBs right now have literally no work coming in. Um, and so they have no revenue. Um, and one other point we just like to mention is that invoices, which um, have never been uh, historically paid quickly to SMBs, um, are now taking even longer. So payment terms are being stretched from, you know, on average from 30 days to 45 yeah, that's really significant, Stara. Yeah, um, it, it's kind of huge. And, and worldwide, obviously, governments can ignore the issue. And they've rolled out a bunch of stimulus packages to help keep those businesses afloat. Um, in the US, we saw that they've launched a $2 trillion stimulus bill, uh, $2 trillion, with at least $350 billion of that allocated to loans to small businesses. Uh, although we saw that some of the big banks weren't actually ready to deal with a number of applications, and there's been some issues with their portals getting, getting those ready. And of course, here in the UK, we saw how much Treasury launched the Coronavirus Business Interruption Loan skill, uh, Scheme, not skill, um, and commonly known as C-Bills, to support small and medium-sized businesses with an annual turnover of up to $45 million, uh, with access to loans, overdrafts, invoice finance, and uh, asset finance, of course. They'll also make um, business interruption payments to cover the first 12 months of interest payments or any lender levied fees. This means SMEs could benefit from no upfront costs um, and lower initial repayments. And as of the 15th of April, UK Finance reported some new figures uh, for the CBIL loans, uh, saying that 1.1 billion has now been lent via 6,000 loans uh, against some three or 400,000 that have actually made applications. Um, and total lending under the emergency scheme has grown by more than 700 million in the past week. Um, but since these government packages have been launched on both sides of the Atlantic, there's been a persistent problem about how to get these funds to people fast enough and how to do it quickly. And you can contrast that with Switzerland that unveiled, uh, I think they had uh, a 20 billion CHF um, package um, and they had managed to disperse nearly uh, sort of 15 billion of that in, in about uh, a matter of a week. And they're actually increasing the size of that facility. So to dig into this, we do have some great guests, and there are a number of options for small businesses, for freelancers. Um, but but I want to start with uh, with Sam. You know, can you just give some perspective to what are the options that that small businesses and freelancers have in front of them, and are there some missing? Yeah, thanks, um, thanks, Simon. And 
and I think um, I was just going to cover off uh, some of Sarah's points as well because uh, it's it's been fascinating to see that actually companies that you even think of as really big and stable have actually less cash runway than individuals who are running businesses, you know, with like Virgin Atlantic and uh, some of these really massive companies. And and what that means is that governments are naturally going to tend towards supporting those and then the slightly uh, more medium-sized businesses first, but actually the smallest businesses, and I'm talking about the ones that are individuals who have a limited company and operate as a director or, or sole traders are really left out in the cold here. Um, and and we we actually uh, we identified this in in our customer base, and it's really why we launched the uh, campaign for self employed income support because we we realised that there was going to be a package laid out for self employed people, uh, and it was uh, Rishi Sunak announced that. But when you actually dug into the detail of it, there were really three main points that were missing from that. Uh, and those were, firstly, that um, they used the self-assessment data to provide or to uh, provide the calculations for the support. Um, and uh, and that was great. I think that's a good source of data. It's accountable to people's tax codes. Uh, uh, but it's specifically for sole traders. And they only allow people who have submitted an 1819 tax return for the year ending 5th of April 2019 to actually claim support. If you started self-employment in the last year, in the tax year that just closed on the 5th of April this year, you weren't getting support at all. Um, secondly, they had this quite arbitrary £50,000 uh, threshold where if your trading profits over the three years that they were using for the calculation breached the £50,000 threshold, you didn't get any support at all. And it sounds quite a lot, £50,000. But actually, if you're living in London and have a family, it's it's really not. And it doesn't equate to the, the employee support that they were getting. And the final point that we rallied around was the fact that if you were a, a sole director of a limited company operating as what people might think of as a contractor, you weren't getting any support either, because they were struggling to understand how they could give support to people who are paying themselves as dividends. And a lot of these people are forced into working as a, as a limited company by their clients. And so there were a lot of holes for, for self-employed people. Actually, I think probably um, there's people more qualified on the call to talk about the support for the slightly bigger businesses like C-bills. And that was a priority for, for government. And as you said, the, um, the intent was there, but actually the infrastructure to pay money out fast uh, hasn't really come to fruition and, and and that's been a big problem i think a huge challenge sam as you point out and that, look there are many different types of lender you know there's high street banks challenger banks asset-based lenders um smaller specialists um and there's, there's a bunch of providers that are, that are signed up um and a lender can provide uh loans up to five million in the form of term loans overdraft invoice finance and asset finance but a lot of small businesses don't know the difference between some of these things, even if the, the government is standing behind them. Um, Ian, do you want to just separate some of these, you know, what's invoice finance versus asset finance? And how does that differ to a term loan or an overdraft for an SME who, who might not be familiar with? Yeah, sure. And just to build on the points that Sam was talking about there, the fundamental issue here for me is that since the last financial crisis, what has developed in the UK is 
uh, a non-bank lending sector. And the fundamental problem with some of the government schemes that have been announced is that they are back in the world of what solutions worked for the uh, 2008-9 financial crisis and assuming that all of the small businesses and sole traders have a relationship with a bank. They do have a relationship with a bank because they do all their clearing through a bank, but actually they don't have a borrowing relationship with them. They have a borrowing relationship with specialist finance providers or challenger banks or neo uh, fintech banks. And, uh, uh, and you're right, small businesses uh, really don't particularly want to differentiate in many ways between those different finance products. They just need cash. They just need cash for running and expanding their business. So asset finance is important because most of these small businesses have uh, business critical equipment to be able to run their businesses. So, so keeping it simple, if you're a uh, a guy that runs a pizza restaurant, you're going to want your pizza oven, you're going to want your catering equipment, you're going to want your tables and chairs. You buy all those on day one. You don't want to spend the, spend out all the cash on day one. You'll spread it over three years and take a finance lease, an asset finance lease. Or if you're a small business that's issuing invoices to your customers uh, and you'll be waiting 30, 60 or 90 days to get paid by your customers, you want some cash flow to, to finance that period. So that's that's invoice finance. Uh, or you may want some cash simply to expand your marketing effort or to attend trade events. That might be a working capital loan. So all those different finance products, are they are all different and they are all important to small businesses depending on your circumstances. But actually, you're probably not getting them from a bank these days. You're getting them from a specialist finance provider. And that's the fundamental issue that uh, I think is at play here in this crisis. You know, we've we're hearing issues around supply chains uh, in the sense of personal protective equipment and in the sense of the, the food retail supply chain. It's the same with cash. There's got to be a good cash supply chain. And the fundamental issue here is, is the cash getting through to the small businesses? And it isn't because it's not the banks that typically provide it these days. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like part of the biggest problem here is that the small businesses don't actually know what's available to them. The first option that brings to everybody's mind when you need cash is, is a bank loan. I think I think that's fairly safe to assume. Um, Rebecca, you know, Coatvine is, is also works in the asset financing space, if I'm correct. Um, can you tell us more about, you know, how perhaps you are working with um, the, the, the C-Bills scheme to maybe raise awareness of, of these other um, types of finance that are out there? Yeah, thanks. So we actually are not a finance company. We're a tech company that that sits behind the scenes and helps make the journey for the customer that deals with specialist uh, finance companies like 1PM. Um, we've been working with our clients uh, to try to help any any way in terms of creating an easier user journey to get the get the application in through uh, websites, through portals, um, and we're working um, on a, an entire marketing effort around helping SMEs understand what asset finance is in conjunction with some of our partners. Um, and then there, there's a, a scheme that I'm going to be talking about later on the program uh, launching to help uh, asset finance brokers that traditionally are very manual uh, in their processes, help get them up and running with some technology that can help speed the process along for the customers that are applying for, for loans through, through their, their sites. That's a pretty universal problem, isn't it? That that the people just don't have the the automated processes sometimes. Yeah, exactly. That what what we've seen in the industry, and I'm sure Ian would would say the same, is that many of the introducers that introduce business to the lenders in the space have traditionally been very manual in their processes, um, taking applications face to face, maybe taking applications in an email, and then having to 
to rekey that information, not having really great CRM systems to be able to manage customers and documents. So um, just trying to get people up to speed uh, in the brokerage space um, to help to help spur the process along from the customer putting the application in to being able to do the payout at the end and get the cash in the right hands. Yeah, so I, I just wanted to, to to make a point as well that I think we, we should be very clear that, you know, um, financing, lending loans are not the only things that are being offered to small businesses right now, because there will be some small businesses for whom financing is just not appropriate. It's whatever, you know, for whatever reason it is, there is a completely separate uh, question, which is, whether people for whom it is appropriate can access it, um, but for for those uh, for those people that it, that it isn't you know the, the right solution, um, there are other options out there. But just to your point, Rebecca, I think um, some of the problems that w- with people seeing having access to things there as well is exactly the same. It's the technology. So even if they're not trying to apply for a loan, they're they're trying to find out you know how to delay their VAT payments, or they're trying to find out you know how to apply for payment protection uh, that, that you know one of the US schemes as well. It's um it. it I think the the point being that it, technology across the board is causing problems for for small businesses trying to access these services. Yeah, I've I've actually um, been part of a, a really great group um, called the COVID Payments Group um, uh, with Shield Pay, uh, Swoop um, Company, and a few other uh, businesses pulled together by Chris Haddlesback uh, from uh, TechStars um and outrun ventures and it and it's been amazing to see how the fintech community is pulling together to try and solve some of these challenges because the these are companies that work directly with banks and financial institutions and actually there's some interesting mechanics going on where banks aren't necessarily set up to make fast decisions on loans uh for the types of businesses that are applying and then actually when you look at the fact that the government, okay, they're paying the, the first year of, of interest and they're, they're securing 80%. But actually, by the time a bank has gone back to the government to ask for 80% of the loan back, it's a massive loss, right? And so uh, to Keir Starmer's point the other day, actually, 100% security might be a better way of doing it if you're really going to outsource distribution of these loans to, to banks. But then secondly, you need to have that infrastructure in the background to be able to triage those applications. Suddenly you go from, you know, uh, maybe a few hundred applications a day to like hundreds of thousands and make decisions on those and the bank and then make the payments as well. And the bank simply don't necessarily have the infrastructure to make that happen. I just wanted to add that it's also, it's not just, you know, making the decision and processing the payments. It's actually having the call center staff available to help people find out what they should be doing in the first place or having, you know, the the chatbots or live chat or whatever kind of support it is. This is new and it's complicated and you can't just expect everybody to know exactly how to do it. Yeah. Yeah, it's a huge thing. And I think actually, uh, Sarah, you made a really uh, valuable point as well, which is what um, I've been kind of in the background when I'm talking to Startup founders, for example, because startups are, are one of the groups that really aren't set up to take a loan because we're loss making generally. Um, banks don't really get us. Probably the government government doesn't really get us. Um, and the kind of fundamentals are slightly different to uh, a, a more traditional business. And I think that's where some of these other uh, kind of components come into play. R and D tax credits are a really important one to get cash back into your business after spending on doing innovative stuff. Um, and so I actually think that there's probably not been enough 
uh, kind of talked about around those kind of cash uh, benefits that you can get as a, as a startup. Ian, you had a point you wanted to make there. Yeah, I was just going to uh, build on both those points from from Sam and Sarah. I mean, I think just a, a case in point. I mean, firstly, firstly, the C-Bills loan scheme. I mean, every, you know, all small businesses are being uh, asked to and encouraged to apply to their bank under that scheme. But it's not cash. I mean, it's it's a guarantee. It's the lenders that have to put out the cash with the guarantee in the background. And talking to the British Business Bank this morning, in fact, who, you know, they're doing a great job uh, in terms of trying to process. But you're absolutely right. They're not set up uh, either with the resources or the technology to be able to do these things quickly. So the process to provide money to a new borrower under the C-Bill scheme will be firstly for some training to be done to our sales guys, then for an application to be uh, loaded onto a web portal, then for various forms to be filled in in order for the bank to then process the application. I mean, to you fintech guys, it must be completely archaic to have this kind of process going on. And that's where I think we're, we're missing a trick. Now, firstly, it's not a distribution of cash in the way that Switzerland appear to be doing it. And secondly, it's uh, uh, it, it's not a very uh, fintech-oriented quick process for any small business to to get their heads around. And what's interesting to me about that, Ian, is that uh, as a as a country, as a as a government as well, that's very proud of its fintech sector. Uh, it's interesting how both UK government and a lot of the banks themselves seem to have thrown all hands to the pump. With yeah, you know, the old saying is, "You go to war with what you have, not what you need." Um, so, sort of. Uh, I can sympathize with it, but also if you think about it as all hands to the pump, if the pump is fundamentally broken, actually maybe it's a better investment of time and effort to fix the pump rather than have more buckets. Like it, it just it, it doesn't more people standing in line to use a broken pump just doesn't doesn't help anybody. Uh, so there's there's a really interesting thing about how being digital or understanding digital can make a real difference. Sam, you wanted to come in on that point? Yeah, and I um I think that that's really important, but I've never seen banks make decisions faster than they are at the moment, nor governments. <laughs> and uh, and so that's been really refreshing to see. And also, um, I think that the the fintech community has kind of rallied around to like fill the gap that's there. I don't know how long it will play out because uh, potentially I'm a little bit skeptical, but um I definitely think that there's some movement and I really love that that uh that idea of going to war with what you got not what you ha- what you what you need or want and I think there's an opportunity here for the government for banks and for everyone to really change what we've got and make it better for the future so that when this comes around again uh we're in a better situation no, I, I love that point, and and to be fair to to a lot of the banks, I mean, what they've achieved in days it would have historically taken them months, if not years. I, I was talking to uh, one bank who you know, had spent six years trying to get remote working together, and in six days had half their staff remote. I mean, you know, like credit to them, and. I would not want to be on the front lines of, of dealing in a call center right now. I'm sure it's those people were unbelievably hard. So credit to the people that are at the front end on it, and same for government. It's just, yes, maybe now there is an opportunity to step back and go, actually, how do we systemically fix this and build in some resilience? Because we did see, uh, I think that, uh, you know, um, what was it from Bank of America, Sarah? You saw some stats out of there? Uh, yes. No, sorry. I was just um, looking at the 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 
volume of applications received. So B of A received 85,000 loan applications in one day with customers seeking a total of $22.2 billion. Um, JP Morgan Chase was only able to get its portal up at 1pm on the first day, despite government advice promising its launch at midnight. And Wells Fargo missed the whole date completely. Um, You know, in the UK, we've seen stats that say, you know, only 2% of of, uh, companies have actually received any funds yet. You know, in the US, 70% of small businesses have applied, but nobody knows how many have even heard back, let alone, you know, one way or the other. Um, So the, the... you know, whilst we can praise some of the speed that is happening or decisions being made, it, it's not necessarily uh, translating to, as as Ian mentioned, cash in those companies' hands, which is what they need right now. Yeah. And, and that is that is the issue. It's the distribution and the deployment. I mean, the fact that it's uh, only 2% of businesses getting the cash is, I think, the fundamental missed opportunity. I, too, have got a lot of empathy and sympathy with the banks in terms of what they're having to deal with, and they provide us with finance. But had they recognised right at the outset that the UK lending landscape has changed, there are lots of small specialist non-bank lenders and fintech companies that have access and day-to-day contact with those small businesses. And had they been included in the schemes from day one, I don't think we'd be having this conversation. I think many, many more businesses would have had their cash a lot more quickly than, than they have had, which is, which is, which is unfortunate, but it will, it will improve and it is changing. It's beginning to gather pace. So, Rebecca, I mean, you've worked with a lot of organizations helping them implement some of this digital stuff as they go. If, if as Sam says, and I think as Ian's pointing out, now's a good point to reflect, how do you actually get started? Because uh, it's nice to want some digital, um, but you know, you've still got to keep the lights on. You've still got to deal with that massive volume of customers. You're still operating in strange conditions. How, how do you actually go about doing any of this stuff? Yeah, great question. So <laughs> we're we are uh, seeing lots of interest p- pivoting from motor finance, obviously, because there's been some some interesting stuff that's been going on there, which has kind of sh- pulled that industry kind of to a halt. As we know, there's not actually cars being built right now. Um, and looking at um, moving into asset finance uh, or invoice discounting, uh, like Ian was saying, um, and and trying to pivot their business, and we're pivoting our business and trying to help those those guys that are there. Um, it, I think looking at the normal things in technology, Simon, cloud based solutions uh, that are easily implement easily in, implemented in a short time frame, um, more bang for your buck uh, from that perspective. I mean, companies um, that are smaller companies. Uh, are easily dealt with, like a quote vine, um, where we're eager to help and uh, have people on hand to implement things quickly. Um, A broker solution in our world, in a SaaS SaaS world, can be implemented without much hand-holding from from the customer side. Um, We have a a prescribed sort of broker system that could be implemented in, you know, under a couple of weeks. And so that's where we're trying to help. And I think on the, the the non-broker side as well, there's there's companies like eBury and iWalker and SpotCap and many of these starting starting to emerge that do do similar sort of things. So there's a new like fintech, the B two B supplier whole space that that banks may may want to look at and consider that could actually be uh, an interesting part of an overall portfolio. Um, just changing tack slightly as well, um, Ian, I'm interested in you know what conversations are you having with business owners, MDs, CFOs uh, who are going through this time period at the moment. What, what, what are they worried about and what are they looking at in term, for in terms of support? Uh, what they're worried about is losing their businesses. Um, you know, they really are uh, up against it. So uh, just uh, there are hundreds of examples, but just one. I mean, there's a company in Leicestershire 
that is Europe's largest manufacturer of football scarves and rugby scarves and sports merchandise. And of course, with no sporting activities going on, they've got nothing happening in their business. They've got 74 people that they've just had to uh, lay off. And thankfully, they can furlough them under that government scheme, which is excellent. Um, but they have got, for example, commitments of £7,500 a month to the likes of us who provide finance for their equipment, and they've just got no revenue to be able to make those payments. So the conversations they're having with us is, please, can I at least have uh, a payment holiday or some form of forbearance for a number of months? So, for example, we might be saying to them, yes, just pay us interest only for the next two or three months, but at least pay us something, and then we'll look at rescheduling that um that loan over a longer period. So those are the kind of conversations we're having and we're having many of them every day. And a, a number of other companies that I'm talking to that are like ourselves, non-bank specialist lenders are all having the same conversations. We reckon about 25 to 30% of all of our borrowers are on the phone asking for some form of forbearance to allow them just to get through this period, however long it may be, of much reduced cash flow. And you know, we're, we're proud to be able to offer that forbearance, but like any business, we're an SME ourselves, we have to then look after our own cash flow. And actually, we are applying for a loan under the C-Bill scheme <laughs> ourselves. It's the right and proper thing to do to be able to support these businesses through this period. I think that's a really important point as well, um, in that, you know, for, for all that um, the small businesses need help, some of the larger businesses do need help as well. You know, looked in the UK, some of the big retail chains have, have, have literally gone bust. They've gone, they've fallen over. And, you know, whilst we are talking about SMBs today, it is important to remember, I think that that chain goes goes further up. Um, obviously, a lot of what you mentioned there, you know, Ian, it's, it's, it's a hugely emotional time. People are scared, people are worried. Their businesses are basically their babies, as far as I understand it. I think our CEO says he's got three children, two human ones and the business. Um, and, you know, this is this is a huge emotional impact on them. What, what else are fintechs doing, perhaps? Or what else have you seen? What other kind of support is out there other than, than financial support? I don't know, Sam, have you seen anything in your space that is perhaps, um, you know, maybe more, more emotional support or maybe uh, kind of guidance or advice rather than just literally sort of how you get access to money right now? It's a really good question, and it's one that we've um, we've actually tried to grapple with. And I think for the first, because when you when the situation like this happens, I think it's easy to just step in uh, to the fray and say, "Right, we're just going to do something." But actually, what we wanted to do is take a step back a bit, and actually, we went out and talked to a number of people who. Um, had been through the 2008 crisis as self-employed people to see what was really helpful for them. And um, uh, a lot of it comes down to just information, right? Because as a, as a self-employed person or as a business owner, you, you, it's really difficult to stay up to speed with what's going on with the government uh, and what the announcements are coming out and how to actually access this uh, these government government schemes and things like that. So um, just a, a good supply of uh, neutral but informative and easily digestible information is, is really powerful. Um, and then one of the other things that we're working on, uh, and I, I'm, I'm still making progress on it, I've tried through my network to get to a few people who can help, but we want to see if we can get some kind of credit for learning on one of the learning platforms, for instance, like uh, Udemy or, or Coursera, because actually there's a massive chunk of people who've seen uh, their income and work drop off from either you know ten percent to a hundred percent, and 
it's a time when people can uh, actually invest in themselves, invest in learning some skills and things like that. And so that's one of the other areas where we're trying to pull something together now that the the initial kind of scare uh, is is starting to wane and people are starting to really think about actually how long this is going to last and, and what they need to do for themselves to get them and their businesses out of it. Indeed, education is going to be so key. And indeed, some of those um, some of those uh, companies have started offering certain courses for free. So let's hope that the SME space isn't isn't far following. Um, just before we continue the conversation, I just want to remind listeners that this episode of FinTech Insider is brought to you by our good friends at MyTech Systems, a global leader in identity verification technology. They have over 18 million users and they're trusted by uh, some of the world's largest banks. Um, MyTech provides tomorrow's identity verification for today's uncertainty. Um, that's uh, MyTech's systems.com m-i-t-e-k my tech already on with the show um sarah as we look to the future what what do you think uh what do you think our guests can uh, can help us with do you think we're we're, we're going to see a shift in any of this sort of stuff a loan's going to happen faster and, and what's your your perspective as well as as somebody watching the space yeah, you know what? I will talk about that, but I was actually just going to throw back to you um, and say, turn the tables on you, because rather than be a host, uh, be a participant, I know that you've been working on something to do with how fintechs can support more broadly. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about the COVID credit scheme? Because that's a really interesting uh, uh, joining up of lots of different fintech players to try and help uh, provide some support. Yeah, so look, COVID credit was a was a, a weekend thing, um, and um, Sam was even involved um, to to a certain degree. So, and it was guys at Credit Kudos and um, the guys over at uh, Fronted as well who who did a lot of the heavy lifting. But it it really started with a tweet, um, and to exactly the point that Sam mentioned about the the sort of freelancer and self employed space at the time had a big policy gap. Like what was going to be done about this this space of freelancers? There was good support for the um, small businesses, large businesses, and there was good support for full time employed. Um, and as we know, the government then did announce a, a series of policies. Um, and and the question was really, what can open banking do to support? If if I could get access to open banking data, could I start to have people certify that? Could that help speed up lending processes? Could that could that help? And and there are a number of ways it potentially could. Um, and that was built and, and pushed into the open source. So, I mean, if anybody's interested, you can see more um, covidcredit.co.uk uh, or uh, covidcredit.com. Uh, and indeed, that's still all there. Um, and uh, hopefully people got value from it. If nothing else, uh, it's something to do whilst you are um, staying at home. Um, that, that was certainly the case. But but I think, to Sam, you mentioned earlier, I mean, the, the campaign you're involved in for the uh, self-income uh, employed support, um, there's, there's, this is a complex issue, right? It, the open banking might be a part of an answer. But actually, there's a whole suite of issues uh, around that self-employed. And, and you mentioned the overview at the outset. But do you want to just dive into to some of the issues ever so slightly? Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the the issues are kind of uh, the, the three major points. Um, our, so our belief is that the government should use the self-assessment system and the corporation tax system to provide uh, calculations of support for these um, either individuals who operate as a sole trader, so a non-incorporated business, or a sole director limited company that's, uh, for all intents and purposes, a, a, a self-employed person. But the the big challenge is um, uh, getting the uh, nineteen, the twenty nineteen twenty twenty uh, self assessment. Um, included as part of the 
calculation for self-employed income support. Because if that's missed out, we estimate that there's probably around 2 million people that have either started their journey uh, partway through 2018, partway through 2019, or they just had their best year in terms of income in, in the last tax year that's just gone. And actually, the campaign, you know, and we've brought in partners, um, including uh, some some fintech players, Truelair, ShieldPay, um, the Freelancer Club, Underpinned, uh, um, all of these, you know, freelance industry players. The campaign is starting to see some traction around these campaign points. So the Treasury Select Committee wrote to Rishi Sunak uh, around those points, and I just saw a letter to from. Um, Sadiq Khan to Rishi Sunak as well, outlining those points and, and, and why they're so important. And so we actually did a bit of a sort of, uh, we, we preempted hopefully that announcement and, and partnered up with Truelair on the open banking side to basically make our technology available on the web so that any sole trader can come and do their 2019-20 self-assessment for free um, in the hope that when that is announced, if that is announced, we save a lot of the time, like 80% of the time in submitting those self-assessments really quickly. And so that's one area where we've been using our kind of technology to to help uh, that that group. Hear, hear. Um, and, and thank you for doing that, Sam. I think that that, that group definitely needs you. Um, I'm going to pivot the conversation slightly to crystal ball time, because hopefully that announcement does come, Sam, and, and that will be something we can talk about um, the, the next time you're on the show. Um, but, but Ian, uh, the outlook for uh, the businesses you serve, uh, you know, there's, there's obviously a few paths it could take. Uh, how, how do you see the next couple of weeks and months playing out? Will we see a more announcements and will, will we see specialist lending come into its own? Will we see the banks start to react? What, what do you think is going to happen and, and what do you think are the are the keys to, to really adapting to this market? Well, I, I do hope that we see um, some more innovation from the government in terms of the schemes that they've announced. I mean, I'm actually a big supporter of the schemes that have been announced in terms of their scope and the size. And I think they're all very well intended. But uh, it's coming back to this point about understanding how the the technology landscape has changed and how the lending landscape has changed and making sure that the schemes are flexed to be able to incorporate those things. So I'm hoping that over the next few weeks, uh, whether it be self-employed um, people in, the, in, in their own businesses or single director businesses or smaller SMEs, that they will all be able to access these schemes much more quickly. I think that will happen. My fear is that if it doesn't, then we will see more and more businesses go to the wall uh, what I would say is that the small business sector is incredibly resilient, uh, extremely innovative, as we've seen by the very evidence that some of the technology that's uh, now being brought to bear. Uh, and, and that will ensure that I think that many small businesses do survive, maybe not in the way that their original business plan suggested they would. So I don't think it'll be a major long-term hit to the UK economy, I just, but I don't think it'll be a V-shaped return to activity either. I think there's going to be a more gradual return to um, the activity levels we've seen before. But I am hopeful that the government schemes will be amended to allow technology to be used, whether it's open banking or non-bank uh, specialist lenders like ourselves, to just deploy that funding sooner, because that's the real key here. Um, Rebecca, I just wanted to, to, to switch to you there for a minute because with these, these payouts, we talked about technology earlier and we talked about you know how lacking uh, in technology a lot of the larger the players are. Um, just wanted to ask you whether you think you know whether the the solutions that are coming in 
um, you know, driven by, you know, the, the current crisis and, and sort of, um, I, the word unprecedented, I think should actually be banned at this point, but you know what yes. I mean. Um, <laughs> um, the, the unusual set of circumstances in which we find ourselves. Um, do you think that that will have a long-term impact on SME financing beyond the current situation? So do you think some of these solutions that are being developed, um, some of the technologies that are suddenly being used, um, do you think, you know, there's a twofold there, do you think, you know, the big banks will suddenly wake up and go, oh my goodness, like, we can. We need to work with other people to help with technology, and technology is the answer. Um, and also, you know, what what other kind of innovative solutions do you think we haven't got to yet? Yeah. Um, so I think absolutely. I think that this is a wake up call for the for the industry in general, and um, that the solutions that um, are being put into the marketplace, whether it's through open banking or soft search capabilities, or creating digital platforms to be able to bring applications in sooner or faster. Um, I think there's been a lot of non-investment in this, um, especially in the specialist um, finance space. They're a little bit behind the the big banks and consumer banking in general. I think this is a wake-up call. And I think that those companies that uh, strive to be innovative and bring technology into their business, we're going to come out 3x, 4x better on the other side. Because the way that consumers and businesses want to access finance has dramatically changed. Um, and I think that they're going to be forced to, to use this type of technology or uh, what do we call it? Innovate or die <laughs> in, the, in that, in that arena. Um, I think, I think it's just, it's time. Uh, it's, for, it's time for, for, for these guys to, to get on board the train. I think that's a really interesting point. What we're going through right now could reshape where SMEs go and who they who they rely on and, and who their default is. And actually, failure to act quickly is is you know potentially going to be uh, the people that do survive and the people that build new businesses will will have long memories. And I think Sam, there's 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 a lot that could happen in the next uh, three, six, twelve months. But uh, hopefully, we can all contribute. Yeah, I was just going to say that um, uh, I think that's a really good point, Sarah, in terms of like. Where this goes now, for, from our perspective, uh, when we're looking at the smallest businesses, we've always spoken to banks about how difficult it is to actually lend to these businesses, D- despite the fact that it's the most, it's the fastest growing segment of, of the business community. There's more and more people using platforms, whether it's like Amazon, Podia, whatever, to to create income streams that sit outside of the traditional uh, kind of p- payroll system. Um, actually it's hard to lend and you know what i loved about the covid credit project was that it was partnered up with credit kudos and freddie over there and actually there's there's something really important about using technology like open banking and then credit scoring um to enable uh the smallest businesses to get access to loans and it's part of what we're um seeing as well as part of what our platform at coconut does in terms of the the accounting I think that's a huge point, right? If you can get access to different data, more data, how you do credit scoring and and credit risk fundamentally can be different. The way that it's been done for the last 100 years has a lot of sense in it, um, and it's built from experience, and it's seen, uh, it's existed throughout up and down cycles. So, you know, there's, there's, there's definitely merit there. But there's merit to trying new things in, in, in a limited way as well. And, and actually, that could really help businesses in a growing segment, in a new segment uh, that, are, that are currently underserved. Um, Sarah, I'm going to give you last word on this. I mean, um, you look at the um, the SME sector a lot. You've got a, a Pulse report all about the SME sector and, and been been kind of writing reports um, quite quite rapidly, as I, as I know has uh, Amy Gavin, our, our colleague, as well. Uh, 
what, what's your perspective as as you look at everything our guests have been saying here? I think um, I think I have cautious optimism um, that things like the techno the, the, the larger organisations will learn from some of the smaller organisations here, and they uh, will learn, you know, that uh, about ways of working, about the importance of cultural change. You know, it's not just the technology. Um, Leader Glibtis always says technology without heart is uh, is worthless. It's a Wonder Woman quote, I believe. I probably misquoted that. Anyway, the point being, it's not all about technology. It's about culture. It's about ways of working. It's about attitude. Um, and I think that the larger organisations really need to to embrace that. And a lot of that is actually what the SMEs have embraced as well. Um, I think also, you know, the the banks will uh, hopefully, or the larger organisations will start to realise that they can't do this on their own. Um, they will look for for partners and support. You know, we've seen a lot of collaboration in the fintech space. It would be great to see some of those fintech collaborating with some of the larger players as well. Um, and particularly, you know, as we've talked different types of alternative finance, I'd really like to see there being a greater push um, and, and a sort of educational uh, movement towards helping people understand what their options are available to them. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to pretend to have the silver bullet for that. I've no idea who's, whose role it is to educate businesses or how or why. But um, I think it would also be really interesting to see how some of the larger players could perhaps look to alternatives and, and think about, you know, how they can start offering some of these as well, um, hopefully in partnership. Again, you know, hopefully with working with some of the smaller players that are already offering these these services. Um, I think for the small businesses, it's going to be tough. It's going to be really, really tough. There will be delays. That important point that we keep coming back to, cash in hand, is, is, is so important for them. They will be worried. Their employees will be worried. Their physical and mental health will start to suffer if it goes on too long. Um, I just think that the most important point to go about on here, perhaps, is that if you start a business, if you are an entrepreneur, then you are an incredibly optimistic, buoyant, hopeful person who will bounce back. Um, and I, I like to think that those characteristics will shine through and that we will see the SMB sectors uh, across the world um, pull together and, and, and pull through this. Wow. Uh, Sarah, I think that was very well said. I think this is a good opportunity to call the show to a close. I'm sure we could go on about this one forever because there's loads, loads, loads that needs doing to support this sector. Um, but I want to thank all of our guests for joining us. Uh, where can people find out more about you and what you're up to, uh, Sam? Yeah, so uh, go to getcoconut.com to find out a bit more about Coconut and and go to the um, self-employed incomesupport.co.uk website uh, to sign up for updates about self-employed income support and join the campaign. Thank you very much, Sam. And Rebecca, how about yourself? Yeah, um, they can visit uh, www.quotevine.com to understand a little bit more about what we're doing. Um, And as well, we have a blog there and are beginning to roll out um, informational activity around SMEs and SME finance and alternatives and, and helping the education process. So that's where you can find us. Brilliant. Thank you, Rebecca. And Ian? Uh, 1pm.co.uk is the website. All of our finance products are clearly set out there. We're also members of the industry bodies, so the Finance and Leasing Association and UK Finance. And as I mentioned, we're quoted on the AIM market, the Stock Exchange, so you can find that information through the links to the London Stock Exchange. Brilliant. And last but not least, Sarah? You can find me on Twitter at Sarah Kachansky. Um, and if you want to go and find some of the, the work that me and my team have been doing, uh, some of the written work, the blog posts, the briefs we've been creating, you can head over to 11fs.com. We have a special COVID-19 section of the website uh, that contains all the work me and my team have done, but also all the other great stuff that the wider 11FS team has been producing, everything from, from blog posts to podcasts and everything in between. 
Thank you so much. All right, as for me, you can find me at SY Taylor on Twitter. Email me, simon at 11fs.com or check out 11fs.com, as Sarah says. Uh, I want to thank you for listening. Um, if you like what you've heard, please remember to subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to leave us a review. It helps us to make better uh, podcasts and better shows, and it helps others find the show as well. Speaking of which, if you know somebody who loves fintech and isn't listening to Fintech Insider, do pass the pod along uh, and tell them about the show. If you have any suggestions or feedback, find us on social media or just search for 11fs or email podcast at 11fs.com. Alrighty, thank you very much and goodbye.